Good morning. God's family. We're all part of God's family, aren't we? I want to thank you for inviting me here this morning to present uh, the Word of God. And of course, we sang in one of our songs that God is a mighty God. And we know that He is mighty, don't we? Amen. So before I begin our message for the morning, I'd like to have a, a brief word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, this morning we're here to worship you, our mighty God. I pray that you will help us to understand a little bit about the power that you have and all of the wonderful gifts and the love that you give to us every day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. Today's message is, How Mighty Is Our God? And as you can see, the planets in the solar system, that God has omnipotent power, and we know that to be true. Genesis 1.1 tells us, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, I like this graphic, this picture, that God is holding this earth that he gave us. In the beginning, God created, on the first day of creation, light. God spoke and there was light. He separated the time when it would be dark and when it would be light. And after the first day, God saw that it was good. On the second day, God created a firmament. It's the sky that we see, and it's so expansive, it's so large, we cannot see the entire firmament. And this is the air that we breathe. All living creatures need air. We need air to breathe, and God knew this. And after the second day, God said that it was very good. On the third day, we're told that God separated the waters above from the waters below. And all I can think of is that there is water, but it's not in a liquid form in the sky until there are clouds. And I know that the earth was watered with dew every day. And there was water below. And God took the water below and separated the water from the earth, from the land, the dry land. God knew that we needed land to live. And on that land, God created all, all the plants, all the trees. You know... We love mountains. 
because mountains are filled with all kinds of trees. We have a cedar tree. In fact, there's a few cedar trees on our property here in Crestline. We just bought a, a month ago, and we now live in Crestline. Amen. But, but God created trees. He created plants. He created the fruit of the tree, the fruit of the vine, and all plants as food for all of God's creatures. God knew that we needed to be sustained with food. And at the end of the third day, God saw that everything was good. You know what good means in God's eyes? It means perfect. He created perfection. And on the fourth day, God created the heaven, um, the, the sun and the moon. The sun to rule the day for the light and the moon and the stars at night. You know, we couldn't survive if it, the sun shone every day for 24 hours a day. We couldn't live. It would be too hot. So he knew that we needed night. The night sky is so beautiful. I'm sure all of you have seen the night sky with all the stars and all the planets and all the suns in our solar system. Reminds me of a story my mother once told me on her way back from China. You see, her father was a missionary, and they were halfway to the, to the States. And she overheard her father say to another man, I can't help but look up into the stars and into the sky, and there's so many, I can't even count them. I cannot think of Anything other than God placed those stars in this sky for us to enjoy. And you know these stars and these planets are set in motion in orbit around suns and the moon around the earth. And if it weren't for God, I think there would be collisions all over the place in space. But there aren't any, and there haven't been any. And... It reminds me of Abraham when God said, Abraham, go out and look at the night sky and count the stars. And Abraham, he didn't even want to attempt at counting the stars. Does anybody know how many stars there are? None of us know. But God knows. God promised Abraham that he would have descendants as many as the stars in the sky. And at the end of the fourth day, God saw that it was good or perfect. How mighty is God? I think we need to answer that question for ourselves. But you know, we can never really know the mightiness, the almighty God and his omnipotence. We cannot know it fully. That's what makes him God. That's what makes us people, human beings. On the fifth day, God created all of the living creatures in the oceans and seas from the big blue whale, and hopefully some of you have seen it if you go whale watching, 
my wife and I have, and that whale was pretty big. It was bigger than our boat that we was on. And to the tiniest creature, now I don't know what the tiniest creature is, but you know whales eat a tiny creature called krill. And I guess krill is, in quantity, they're all over the place. And also, there's small, small creatures that we can barely see. And in the skies, God created all the birds that fly. You know, I love to hear birds sing. I'm sure we all do. It's beautiful music that God has given to us to enjoy. Also, the large, large bird, the, the bald eagle, I love to look at eagles in flight. You know, Bible uses eagles as a symbol. In the Bible, as strength. We need to soar like the wings of eagles. I think that's in Isaiah. And to the smallest, smallest bird, I think of a hummingbird. We've all seen the hummingbird. And the hummingbird flies without moving very much. It's stationary. And at the end of the fifth day, God saw that all was good. And on the sixth day, God created all the land animals. From the largest, elephants, giraffe, and the tiny insects. I don't know what the tiniest is, but an ant is pretty small. So all, everything that creeps on the land. And not only that, but God's crowning creation was to create man, both man and woman, male and female, and they were created in God's image. Amen. That means a lot. Now, after the fall, we're not so much in God's image. And being image is more than physical. It happens to be spiritual as well in our characters. Someday our characters will be made good or perfect again. And at the end of the sixth day, God saw that all was good. One more day, and that day is today. The Sabbath day. God rested from his creation. Did God need to rest? No. Never needs to rest. He knows that we need to rest. It is a time to celebrate life, and it happens every week. On the seventh day, not the first day or any other day, the seventh day is the Sabbath. And as the text says here, the heavens and the earth were completed <laughs> in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God finished the work he was doing, and on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is one of God's great blessings, is a day to rest from all of our work. How mighty is our God. He is mightier than imaginable.
Another example of God's mighty power. For three or four hundred years, I think it was, Israel, they were held slaves and in bondage in, in Egypt. And finally, God sent a deliverer named Moses. And Moses was there doing what God had promised, and that was to deliver Israel out of bondage, out of Egypt. And so, instead of going north, where the promised land was, God knew that Israel was not ready to fight some hard battles with the Philistines. And so he took them into the desert. And we know that God led them with a pillar of clouds. And there was no mistake, that cloud was, was directing them straight to the Red Sea. And the children there were saying to Moses, what did you bring us to the desert for? This is crazy. Let's go back to Egypt. And then they looked at something far in the distance. It was like the whole army of Egypt on their way to take Israel and all God's children back to Egypt. And they were murmuring. And Moses, having heard God say, I will deliver you, I will fight for you. God does that all the time when we trust God. When we trust that God will take care of us. Just like we sang the song, God will take care of us in every way and all the way. That night, there was a mighty wind that blew. And so Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. That's God really speaking through Moses. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Then Moses stretched his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, and he turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. You know, no number of a team of engineers could ever, could ever accomplish that. I don't care how many engineers you choose. You can choose 100. You can choose 2,000. None of those engineers can do that. Today, they might build a tunnel underneath. They might, but I don't know why. But no way to separate waters because these waters were tall walls and they did not collapse onto the dry land. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. It must have taken all day long to get through that dry land, through 
the Red Sea all day long to get through. Now, I'm wondering what held the, the Egyptian armies from following right after them. Once again, it was God. God did not let them see what was happening. And so Israel got across the sea safely. And when they were all across the sea safely, then Pharaoh's army went right into that trap, really. They were not going to get across that Red Sea. And when they got to the middle and they saw the water collapsing on them, they turned around and they tried to get back. But they'd gone too far. And we know the rest of the story. The ocean, the Red Sea, collapsed on to all the chariots, all the horsemen, all the foot soldiers, and they all perished. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw this great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, their servant. How mighty is God? He's mighty enough to fight for us and to save us from our enemies. Doesn't that look like impossibility for man? Well, it is, but not with God. The next story I have is found in Joshua 10, verses 12 to 14. We know this story to be the day that the sun stopped. How many of you ever seen the sun stop? I know I haven't. Joshua was the great general of Israel. Joshua realized he needed help. He needed help from God. And it says in verse 12 of Joshua 10, On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel. Now this would have been Israel as well as the, the army of Israel. Joshua says, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon over the valley of Aijalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, and the nation avenged itself on its enemies. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. Well, that sounds like instead of a 24-hour day, it was a 48-hour day, and half of it was daylight, so there was a day that was at least 24 hours. That's a long day, but just long enough for Israel to defeat the Amorites. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. 
Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. If God would fight for Israel, he will fight for us. And he has. I've heard many stories, many testimonies where God has intervened. Uh, some call it a miracle. But we know that it's an intervention of God in a supernatural way. I know you recognize this picture. I really like this story found in Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar built a statue, I think it was 90 feet tall, and made out of gold, probably pure gold. Nebuchadnezzar, he ordered all of those, and I'll read that text, and you can see that on the screen. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And in verse 5 it says, As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down, in verse 6, and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Until that time, I'm sure nobody survived a blazing furnace. Well, all but three bowed down. They got down on their knees to worship this tall, tall gold image. But as you can see here, there were three young men that did not, they did not bow down. They did not get on their knees. And I don't think Nebuchadnezzar noticed, but some of the people there noticed. There were troublemakers. And they ran over to the king to get his attention and said, you know, not all of your people here bowed down to worship you. And Nebuchadnezzar was angry. He was very angry. And he asked for the three young men to come up close. And we know them to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Nebuchadnezzar said, maybe you didn't understand me. I said you need to get down on your knees and worship me, the great king of Babylon. So we'll go through the whole process again. There's going to be the sound of all of these instruments. There were quite a few of them. And when the music died down and everybody bowed down, Nebuchadnezzar noticed that these three young men still did not want to worship. Starting with verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. 
We are thrown, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, our God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. In some texts it says, deliver us from the fiery furnace. That takes great faith in these three young people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It would take great faith of anyone to realize that they could be delivered or would be delivered from a burning, burning fiery furnace. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O King Nebuchadnezzar, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so mad that he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter. That's pretty much overkill, as far as I'm concerned. That didn't need to happen. Going on with the story before I read the rest of those texts. Nebuchadnezzar had these three young men bound with ropes and three strong, or I don't know how many guards, maybe two or three guards, lead them, push them into the furnace. And these guards died before they got near the furnace. And as these three men got into the furnace, we know that the ropes burned off, but none of their hairs on their bodies or their clothing or anything was singed. Nothing on them was singed. Verse 24 says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Were there not three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. And he said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth that looks like a son of the gods. Now, I think Nebuchadnezzar probably meant the son of God, the son of the almighty God. How? Son of God, okay. How mighty is God? He is mighty enough to deliver three faithful servants, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He delivered them from that furnace. I don't know how God delivered them. But that just shows you the omnipotency of God. That means all-powerful. All-powerful. Not just a little, not just a lot, but all-powerful. That day, Nebuchadnezzar, I believe, began a process of converting to believing that God, the only God of the universe, is the true God. And he asked all of the people there that day on the plains of Dura in the province of Babylon to worship God and only God. Don't worship this image. Don't worship the king. Don't worship me, is what Nebuchadnezzar said. But I think Nebuchadnezzar still needed to learn a few lessons. God is all-powerful. 
He's almighty. Again, how powerful and how mighty is our God. He is amazingly powerful. We know this story found in John. It's a powerful story. John chapter 11. Jesus was late traveling to Bethany to see his friends Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. The first one that greeted Jesus, she was crying, Martha. She said, Jesus, why didn't you come here earlier? You could have saved Lazarus, our brother. I thought you were his friend. Martha did not quite understand Jesus' mission to this earth. We know why Jesus came here. It's found in the meaning of his name. Jesus said to Martha, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asked Martha. And Martha said, yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Sounds like an answer that Peter gave Jesus when Jesus was here with us, with his disciples in his ministry here on earth. Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. Soon Mary came out, and when she reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Basically the same thing Martha had said. Verse 32 and, and yeah, verse 32 and 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come along with her also were weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. Where have you, where have you laid him? Jesus asked. And they said, come, Lord, we will show you. Verse 35, known as the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? Well, Jesus was human after all, the son of man, but also God, the son of God. He was sad that his, his friend Lazarus had died. And everyone there, verse 36, the Jews said, see how he loved, loved him. In verse 41, after Jesus was led to the tomb of Lazarus, 
He asked them to take away this stone, so they took it away, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard my prayer. You've heard me. I say, or I knew, that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus got up to everyone's amazement. Lazarus came out and wrapped up like a mummy. And people were kind of concerned that he still smelled. But he didn't. And as they unwrapped him, they noticed that he was healthy, completely healthy. So when Lazarus was resurrected, he was also healed. I think Jesus did that to make a big point in teaching them that he is who he says he is. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe me, even though you die, you will live. I think this is a powerful message that if we trust Jesus and only Jesus, we trust him every day that we know that the reason he came is to save us. Matthew chapter 19. We find a story of a rich young man, very rich. He comes to Jesus. And he says to Jesus, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Verse 16. Verse 17. Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. We do that because we have faith and we love God, not because we have to, it's because we must. We want to. And the young man says, well, which one of the commandments? And Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Verse 19, honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Basically, Jesus was say, saying, keep all the commandments. All these I have kept, the young man said, so what do I still lack? And Jesus answered, in verse 21, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. You realize that when we give to the poor, when we give our tithes and offerings, we are storing treasures in heaven where we know, or we should know, that no one will come to rob it there will be no moths to corrupt it. It will not rust out like the things we have here on this earth. And you know the saying, it is better to give than to receive. So Jesus says to the young man, the rich young man, follow me. I don't think he quite understood that. Give all that I have and follow you? I already keep the commandments. 
the lesson we have here is that that's not good enough to just keep the commandments. You need to love God and love others, and you need to give yourself. My mother once told me, it is better to wear out than to rust out. We'll wear out following Jesus. We'll rust out when we seek the pleasures of this earth, which are fleeting, which are temporary. If we enjoy the pleasures of this world, they will only be for a mist, as James, the brother of Jesus, says. Verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away very sad because he had great wealth and he was unwilling to give it up. Did he not know that when he dies that he will have to give it up then? Or if he were to live until Jesus comes, it's going to all go away. Why? Because it will become obsolete. It will rust. It will be taken from him. But treasures in heaven will never be taken from us. Verse 23, Jesus is teaching a lesson. He says to his disciples, I tell you the truth, or verily, verily, I say unto you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He did not say it's impossible. He said it's very, very hard unless you're willing to give it up for Jesus. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Well, you know camels can't go through an eye of a needle or cannot go through a, a narrow passageway. The camel's too large, he can't fit, but it says it's easier for that to happen than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And verse 25, the verse that's on the screen, when the disciples heard all of this, they were greatly astonished and they asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. How mighty is God? How mighty is our God? He is mighty enough to save us from our sins. He is mighty enough. God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, not his sins, for our sins, so that we can have eternal life. What better promise is that? God wants us to give us eternal life the way he intended it for Adam and Eve. He intended Adam and Eve to live forever in the, the Garden of Eden. If we have faith, if we trust God all the way, I love the text found in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, for he will direct thy path. And we know this path is that, that hard path following Jesus, but that path leads to eternal life. The brother of Jesus, I don't have that text on the screen. Jude is his name. He wrote 
One chapter in the Bible, it comes before Revelation. And like his brother, James, they knew Jesus. And we know this text in verse 24 and 25 to be our doxology. It says, to him who was able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. This is what Jesus is going to do when he comes again. He will present us to God, his Father, without fault and with great joy. This is the day that will be glorified. Verse 25 says, To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, and the word power, I like to say mighty power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all the ages, both now and forevermore. Amen. And in closing, I want to ask this question. Again, it's more of a rhetorical question. How mighty is our God? Our God is mighty enough to save us all from our sins. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, who paid the price on our behalf, who came to this earth to be named Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. Oh Lord, we look forward to your coming. And it will be sooner than we think it will be. So help us to give our hearts to you every day and help us to love God with everything we have, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others the way Jesus loves us and to obey and to trust God for our salvation. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.